Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me on another episode of A Slut with Morals. I'm your host, Ruby May. I really hope you take the time to listen to this episode when you can give it your absolute attention because this episode is about something we've probably all encountered. Uh, Some of us have just have no idea we've encountered this type of person because there are so many different types. Going through all of this researching all of this, having to read article after article. I mean, fuck. I actually had to take a a break in between and really kind of just let my mind process it as much as I could before learning about the next. I'm gonna be using a lot of examples, but at the same time, I'm not gonna get into too much depth into all of them. And that's just because a lot of them are very typical. So we've all seen the TikToks and the YouTube videos, and we've read self-help books and articles and listened to podcasts about this type of stuff, but I'm, I think I'm gonna get into some pretty heavy details. And hopefully, if you're still listening and you have a better understanding, you can learn to see these traits and characteristics, these huge red flags. So you're not in a situation situation where someone has their claws in you so deep you feel like you're worthless and if you are in that kind of situation hopefully you can get the fuck out also realize this is a podcast about self-realization and self-growth so if you see yourself in any of these things i mentioned or talk about seek help an untreated narcissist is a bad narcissist so let's get into that what exactly is a narcissist narcissistic personality disorder is something we use to describe someone toxic and for the most part that's true but narcissists are far worse. Narcissistic personality disorder, they make up 5% of the population. So every 5 out of 100 people are narcissists. NPD is only 1 out of 10 personality disorders. It is a genuine disorder and it can be treated by using therapy. Causes of narcissistic personality disorder vary anywhere from childhood trauma, whether it's physical, sexual, or, or verbal abuse, Early relationships with parents, friends, and family normally set this path, Uh, believe it or not, but genetics play a huge role here. So think about your mom, right, or your dad, or your grandparents, and then think about if you've ever acted the same way they've acted, or you know someone that acts the same way their parent acts. Another cause for narcissistic personality disorder is Hypersensitivity to textures, noises, and even lights in their childhood. Uh, Personality and temperament, by that I mean they learn how you react to their temper. So what are some characteristics of a narcissist? A lot of these narcissists have the same characteristics. So they're over, they have an overinflated sense of self-importance, constant thoughts about being more successful, powerful, smart, and even loved. They're very vain. They have a feeling of superiority and desire to only associate with high standard people. So they'll make you feel low if you don't have a certain status or job or can't afford certain things. They have a a need for excessive admiration. They have a sense of entitlement. What's mine is mine, what's yours is mine. The willingness to take advantage of others in order to achieve their own goals. Lack of consideration for understanding of others' thoughts, opinions, or feelings and needs. They're very arrogant or snobby. Their behaviors and attitudes are just just trash, right? They're severely unreliable and they violate your boundaries. So before I get into the types of narcissists, I want to tell you something about love bombers. And I only want to talk about this because 
Narcissists aren't just relationship-wise. They're also your friends and your coworkers. They're your family members. They're sometimes even your own child. But love bombing is when someone absolutely overwhelms you with signs of adoration, attraction, comments, tokens of affection, love notes, or even little surprise appearances at your job, your home, your favorite bar, your store, etc. So at first it can be kind of cute and you really love the attention, but then, I mean, if you have a great intuition, then you kind of feel like something is weird or wrong. The attention can be really, really intoxicating, right? Nobody has ever made you feel like this before, shown you this much attention, flattered you, it's nice, you like it, you feel good, but honestly, they're using flattery and attention as tools to build themselves up as a perfect mate in order to gain your trust, your attention, and your affections. Once they've convinced you that you two are perfect together, they slowly start to change, you know, or they slowly start trying to change and shape you into who they want you to be. They won't change themselves, they'll change, they'll try to change you. And and I have to insert here, something I've said before is that a person is not a diaper. You should not have to change them. You should like them for who they are. You see, love bombers, they have a strategy to make you perfect in their eyes and they'll do whatever it takes to achieve the you that they want. They often force the relationship on you or it moves way too fast. They'll tell you they love you really early on, show you so much love and affection and make you feel really valuable. They make you feel safe and they make you think that possibly they're the one. But once they get bored or got whatever it is they want from you, they'll start gaslighting you, lying to you, projecting and devaluing you. They'll give you just enough of that time and attention to keep you around. They leave you confused and wondering what you did wrong when honestly it wasn't even you. They leave you alone a lot towards the end, wondering what you did wrong. Was it me? What did I do? What was it? Is it my weight? Is it my hair? Is it my appearance? Is it, am I not giving enough of myself? Am I not, am I not listening to them? Am I not paying attention? What do they want? What did I do? And you kind of just start to have these own, you know, self-confidence issues and your self-esteem goes down and you start to really hate yourself and you can't even look in the mirror anymore. And it's not you, it's them. But these love bombers, what they do is that they just leave. They ghost you. They just, one day, they're just up and gone. And now, now you have unresolved trauma and you feel worthless. That is a love bomber. So I came across a few different articles that named a bunch of different types of narcissists. But (laughs) every article had like a different name for every single type of narcissist, right? And pretty much what I did was I like, I accumulated all of the same narcissistic traits and essentially like what they had called them and I put them all, you know, into like this category. So they all had a different title, but the same characteristics is is what I'm trying to say. I'm sorry. I, I hope I didn't confuse you. Um, so I'm going to start with the one that's the most typical one and that's the overt one. Uh, this is the one that is dramatic or extra. This is the type of person you would think of when someone mentions a toxic person or even utters the word narcissist. Um, They're extroverted, aggressive, and attention-seeking, extremely charming, and expect special treatment. But they're predator-like in their ability to see vulnerabilities in others in order to use it against them. They're highly competitive and are willing to humiliate others in order to win. So let's go to the the covert type, aka the victim. They're super passive-aggressive. They indirectly express negative feelings instead of openly addressing them. I fucking hate that. Um, They play the victim and come across as like super fucking helpless. Like they're in a hole they can't get out of. Every time that you try to help them, they have a negative excuse, you know, like they just want pity. 
Like, they just want the pity. They are quick to cry or stage a crisis to get attention, and they most often struggle with depression or anxiety or both. They often struggle with depression, anxiety, or both. So let's talk about this next one. The hypervigilant, aka the observer. This person fears, absolutely just fears, being rejected or abandoned. They're highly sensitive to body language, facial expressions, tone of voice, and other people's reactions. They take things, they, they tend to take things super personally, so they can't even handle constructive criticism. They are prone to feeling shame or humiliation and can be severely self-effacing, which means that they're not claiming attention for oneself. You know, they're pretty retiring and they're pretty modest. Um, they're likely to direct any negative attention towards others and prefer not to be the center of attention. So the hypervigilant, they make their entire life choices to avoid the pain of rejection or failure. Their hidden pain is one in connection, but expecting rejection. Uh, this is the person that, that's like really hard to hate. They're the least toxic one until their feelings are threatened or their goals and ambitions are. Honestly, the more I thought about this one, the more I thought I mentioned it, like it kind of like mentioned me, but I had to realize that while I do like going out, I prefer my alone time. I think this is more like mothers that pretend to be the cool mom so their kids will like them. This is the type of person that was mentally and verbally abused as a child, so they don't want their kids to hate them, you know? I, I don't kid, I really don't honestly don't give a fuck if my kids hate me. There are times when I can be the best friend, but I am always the parent. So with that being said, let's move on to the next. The oblivious one, also known as the arrogant narcissist. This person completely 110% lacks in awareness and sensitivity towards others. No sensitivity chip whatsoever. Um, they're severely self-absorbed, arrogant, aggressive, and have to be the center of attention no matter what. So think of the best friend getting engaged at her best friend's wedding. That, you know. Then you have the exhibitionist. And I want you to think about Christian Bateman's character in American Psycho with this one. Uh, needing constant attention. They think they're better than others physically and intellectually. Consistently look down on others, even friends and family, to a point where they think they're more like competition than they are friends. They're very status conscious and super materialistic. They think that they're God's gift to earth and have an enormous need to be admired at all times. The next three are the worst kinds of narcissists and I'm going to get into two of them pretty fucking deeply and that's only because I just recently dealt with one. This next one is pretty dangerous because they're extremely stealthy. It is the egotistical aka social predator. They work in very, very sly and strategic moves. I, like I said, I had the pleasure of having to deal with one for five months and I had to repair friendships that I worked hard to have and it was not fun at all. It was definitely something I wanted to speak out against a while ago, but I didn't want to cause any backlash or put anyone on blast and, and I wanted to maintain what little dignity I had and also respect for others around me, you know? I... I spoke up about it, but because this person had everyone in his clutches, it seemed as though everything that I did was, like, dramatic, or I was trying to start shit, and I was dismissed, and when I tried bringing it up to someone's attention, like I said, I, I would just get dismissed. So, 
so I kept my mouth shut. The good thing is, is everything came to light without me really having to step in or having to do anything anymore. So I'm going to read you a post I made on July 24th. At that point in time, I was four months deep into this shit and I was just so angry. And I was hoping it would reach people that I was close with, but again, it seemed like they were blind. So here it goes. Who, when, where, why, or how I fuck is none of your business. But apparently one person, let's call him X, who I did not fuck months ago, has made it into a personal vendetta to tell everyone not just who I fucked, but when and how. Which, I've heard the stories and trust me when I say the reality was much better. Seriously, if you haven't had sex with a veteran, you're missing out. When I don't sleep with someone, it isn't about looks. It's because I've picked up on a lot of cues many people miss. It's something about their character, body language, and the things they say and how they say it. I'm always told I'm quiet or hard to grasp, but honestly, I am just observing everything. I chose not to sleep with X one night and chose to sleep with someone else. I do not regret my decision. That night, X also went home with someone else. Since then, the rumors started. So here are my questions. If I and the person I slept with are both single and we had consensual sex, why is it affecting the people I work with? Why is my name always brought up? Why am I hearing rumors about myself? Why isn't it affecting the person I slept with? Why isn't his name being brought up? Did the chick X take home not suck his dick good enough to make him forget about me not fucking him? After hearing these stories, I kept quiet. I stayed nice and cordial. I have even tried personally to patch things up with him and then professionally, but it didn't work because last night my name left his mouth again and I got mad. It takes a lot to make me mad and in my anger and frustration, I've come to a conclusion. X is an egotistical predator, which is the stealthiest of predators. Like other predators, egotistical or social predators charm their way through personal and professional settings, using flattery and positive attention to win over those who will help him get ahead or in bed. These predators do not violate the law, they violate loyalty. They exploit their victims financially, often losing money, reputationally, like mine, emotionally, and sometimes sexually, carefully covering their tracks, or try to, to avoid any official wrongdoing. They seduce and discard a lot of trusted individuals. Social predators can certainly engage in misconduct, like being a fucking creepy fuck. On the other hand, unfortunately, may do nothing whatsoever that meets the legal standard for offense, and that's the shitty part. The commonality is that they prey on victims' emotions slash resources, either for their own gain or simply because they enjoy doing so. Social predators have psychopathic traits, yet if evaluated, they may fall short of an actual diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder. But don't worry, I see everything. They don't care how their behavior affects others until it begins to affect them, leading them to break promises, reveal private information, and take credit for others' accomplishments, like saying they're a part of a group when they're not. They get away with it by integrating themselves in an often drawn-out dance with victims that targets their egos and unique vulnerabilities, i.e. the fragile foundations and rapport I had been working really fucking hard on. These are the kinds of people 
that when asked to apologize, they aren't sorry. They're just sorry they got caught. A social predator publicly discloses private facts to discredit a victim, like labeling a woman, a gossip, a disgruntled employee, an unreliable person, a problem drinker, which I was practically sober at that point. They'll call them a slut. That's my name. Or worse, ensures that they will win a credibility contest if a victim ever files a complaint or simply seeks to alert others to the predator's true nature. And once again, that's like apologizing when they're not actually sorry for their behavior or their super severely shitty work ethic. So X now has a girlfriend and I'm so happy for him. She's fucking cool and he absolutely does not deserve her. But it's also the reason why I'm so confused as to why I'm still being talked about. But if it continues, I'll happily pull her aside and let her know the reason as to why he's obsessed with me, ruining my reputation, my sex life, and why he can't shut the fuck up. Also, to clear the rumors, I'll pull X aside myself and happily tell him how the veteran made me squirt on his face in my front seat. Because as a slut, I absolutely do not regret my decision that night and would do it over and over and over again. That was my post from July 24th. That was my post. And it took almost over a month for everything to like die down. And even then, it took a whole other month for people to be like, oh shit, I still haven't gotten an apology. I'm not waiting for an apology. It's fine. I don't care. But it's like, you're still having to build a rapport. You're still having to talk to people. You're still having to do this and that. And when I tell you that my depression got so bad, my anxiety, guys, I don't know if you were watching my TikToks or my videos on Instagram, but I was ticking all the fucking time. It was like the more and more I thought about doing this or that, the more and more that I would start to tick. And just thinking of having to be in the same place with them was causing my anxiety to just go sky high. And that was like the whole reason that I was, you know, drinking was because my anxiety was just like super fucking high. Like no matter what I did, it was just like fucked. All right. So let's move on to what an antisocial narcissist looks like. On this one, I want you to imagine a serial killer. One of my favorites is Ed Kemper. God, it's so weird to say my favorite social, my favorite serial killer, isn't it? But I want you to imagine Ed Kemper or Jeffrey Dahmer or even H.H. Holmes. The antisocial narcissist is an antisocial or malignant, malevolent narcissist. They are dangerous because it crosses, this personality disorder crosses with antisocial disorder. So this person has no ability to feel anything believes they are intellectually superior even though they don't work in a high position or can't exactly hold down a job. They have no ability to feel empathy. Pop psychology would call them psycho or sociopathic. These people are aggressive, hostile, paranoid, and violent. They are sadistic and dehumanizing to those around them. This person will absolutely hurt you physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, and sexually and never feel remorse never. So with that being said, we're going to move on to this last one. And for this one, I am going to add a trigger warning. If you are in a domestic violent type of relationship or have been in one, or if you think you are, but you're not sure, please continue to listen. There is a hotline number at the end that I'm going to attach that you can call. And you can even text just in case if if you need the help. And this one is going to be the sexual narcissist. 
there's there's two types of sexual narcissists and the first one is more of a typical frat guy a chadley if you will Tight, they feel entitled to have their sexual needs met they're self-centered they're so, they have a self-centered view of sex and highly unskilled at emotional intimacy so they're not interested in their partner's wants or needs sexually and frequently overestimate their bedroom skills but expect a lot of praise for their own sexual performance. So you guys, please stop hyping people up if they suck. Like, please, you know. They also, this this narcissist reacts poorly to rejection, expects sex in return for gifts or nice gestures, so dinners, you know, movie, whatever. And they'll pressure you, try, uh, try to trick you or manipulate you. They will guilt trip you into having sex with you. That gives you super rapey vibes, doesn't it? They feel entitled to get sex elsewhere if you don't meet their sexual requirements, regardless if you have a monogamous agreement. So think of all of everything that I just said, and I'm going to tie it into this next one, which is the sexual sadist. And that's the last one that we're going to cover. And this is when I tell you, if you've been in any type of violent or sexually violent or if you are in a violent domestic relationship, or you think you know someone that is in one, this can either help you or trigger you, so that is your warning. Yes, sexual abuse can and does happen to both men and women. It is not one or the other, and it is not biased. In a relationship with a sexual narcissist or a sexual sadist, sexual abuse is amplified. This is completely different from a classic dom-sub relationship, the abuse is used to control your behavior, your thoughts, your opinions, your body. It's about elevating their feelings of superiority, acting out the abuser's sexual fantasies, and not yours whatsoever. This type of relationship essentially leaves you paralyzed in fear. Now, a dom-sub relationship, it's about both. You're both getting what you want, and you both have permission, okay? I, I just want to state that very clearly. In a BDSM relationship, you this is kind of like a contract. There is a safe word and everything you do is consensual, you know, and if it is not or if it's too much, the safe word is applied. So the sexual sadist begins to groom their victim and the early stages include mild sexual acts meant to humiliate you, such as touching your genital area in front of your mother or demanding you sex them while you're working. And this is kind of meant to catch you off guard, but also to use it as a subtle message that, hey, you're my property. When you try to confront the abuser, it only leads to minimizing you, denying it, and of course, blaming you for their actions. Uh, verbal assaults begin, and as soon as you disagree with one of their sexual preferences or requests, they'll turn it around and say you're manipulative and controlling or chastise you and say, you're no fun. They'll criticize your lack of sexual desire, or they'll insult you sexually or insult your body. They have jealousy rages, and they'll demand you tell them everything about your past sexual experiences and rationalize it as, well, you did it with them. Why can't you do it with me? No matter what you wear, you're accused of cheating or flirting or flaunting yourself, even if they're the ones that told you to wear it. They become jealous over your pets, children, family members, friends, even your job. Literally anything that takes your attention away from them, they're jealous. They get jealous over that. They'll use coercion tactics like persuading you into having sex by using guilt, 
shame, harassment, blame, and even rage. For them, it's not sexual abuse, but it is. Because any coerced sexual act is abuse. A sexual abuser will play the victim card and compel you to have sex with them so they feel safe, secured, loved, and validated. Even if you don't want to have sex with them or if you withdraw sex from them, they nag you and insult you, become angry and disruptive, refusing to allow you to leave or even sleep until you fuck them. They'll even threaten infidelity. If you don't comply with their desires, change your appearance, or gain weight or lose weight, they'll casually mention how they'd like to fuck one of your very attractive friends, and that's mostly just used as a tactic to isolate you even further. And if all else fails, that, I mean, they'll still cheat on you anyway, you know? So those those threats, those aren't empty threats. They will go ahead and they'll comply with those threats. They That's that's a promise. You know, it's it's no longer a threat. It's a promise. Then the, after grooming you, they get into a pushy stage. And in the pushy stage, the frequency of sex is not enough ever. They incite fear. So they'll make, they'll say they'll leave you or they'll make you think that they're going to hit you, leave you, humiliate you, punish you, betray you, and even withhold money from you. They'll make you have unprotected sex and make you do everything to take full responsibility for birth control. That includes STIs and STDs, even though they'll lie about not having them and they'll refuse to get tested and then blame you when you get it. They'll even force you in a pregnancy or force you into having an abortion. The pushy stage also involves the abuser withdrawing from sex. Then any requests you make for it, you're ridiculed, blamed for their lack of desire. Then they'll destroy any and all of your own personal principles, you know, like your own morals. For instance, before meeting the abuser, you had morals, right? Uh, like you had a list of rules you had for yourself, such as no bestiality, you don't want to be filmed, um, you won't go into prostitution, you won't participate with more than one partner, like you don't want a threesome, this and that. And they'll take those morals and persuade you to do all of them if they can. If they can't, they'll become angry and then eventually they can become violent. So let's talk about the violence stage. No longer can sex be a way to express love for them or for you. Sex is about intimidation, control, dominance, power, torture, and terror. You can be married and still be a victim of rape, sexual assault, sexual harassment. Even the FBI defines rape as penetration, no matter how slight. All of the times, these degrading acts and sadistic sex, and if you're not careful, all of this, the most degrading acts and sadistic sex, and it can lead to death. So when you're no longer with them, they either demand you, like if you end up getting away or you end up, I don't know, just breaking up or getting a divorce or whatever, um, when you're no longer with them, they either demand you to still have sex with them, even if you're with someone else, or they'll wipe their entire memory of you as if you never fucking existed. So they'll either make you keep doing this, they'll bribe you into keep having sex with them, or they essentially wipe their entire slate clean, and it's like, you're not even a ghost. You just never existed in the first place. And that, that's mental, isn't it? To just pretend someone never existed or just completely repress that and just oh 
you know, like that's so mind boggling to me to even think that that you could spend months and years with this person and then when they go, hey, do you know? And they'll literally say, I have no idea. I don't know who that is. And they really won't have a memory of you. Not one. So if you are in a relationship like this or you are, so if you are ever in a relationship like this or if you are in a relationship like this or if you have been in a relationship like this and you need to talk to someone, you can call the domestic abuse hotline at 1-800-787-3224 or you can text START to 88788. I know this episode is probably pretty heavy, but I just thought that it was so crazy. The more and more that I researched this and the more and more that I, the more and the more that I got into it and I felt sick, if I can say that. I felt disgusted because, like I said, abusers, these narcissists, they're not just your loved one, right? They're not just your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or, or your whatever, you know? They could be your best friend. They could be they could be your kid. They could be your mom. They could be your dad. I mean, how many kids have we seen be abused? I mean, the trials of Gabriel Fernandez, you know what I mean? Like those the mom was sadistic. And so was the boyfriend. Like, I mean, you you think about these things and you never really know if they're actually true. Like you think about it and you're like, ah, oh, that doesn't happen, you know? But I worked in a children's hospital. I worked in an adult hospital. I worked in a county hospital. You have no idea how many times that people would come in and shit like this was going on. And, you know, it's and it's not even reported in the news. It's hardly ever reported in the news unless they make it into a big deal or it was a, you know, widely known person that did it. It just doesn't get talked about. And that's why the last one, the sadistic narcissist I was having a really tough time thinking about well should I add this in there should I not because like I said you know it's it's hard it's tough to hear it was tough to read it was tough to see images it was tough to to talk about you come across something like this and you're like oh yeah haha she's toxic oh yeah haha that she's just narcissistic and it's like okay but what what's the impact that it had on you though you know Like, how are you mentally? How are you dealing? Guys, if you... I say this a lot to the men on my Instagram and my Twitter and my Facebook, but the honest truth is is that if you do need help finding a counselor, and I say go to a counselor first. A counselor will will tell you, hey, this is, you know, um, this is kind of a little bit more severe. Maybe we could put you on medication. If you don't want to do medication, that's fine. There are other therapy treatments that you can do. It's not always just talking. Sometimes they even have a puppy that they let you talk, you know, like they'll let you sit with and it's called puppy therapy, you know, and they let you just like pet the dog while you're talking. And that's a really great thing to do. There's also group sessions where everyone is healing together, right? Which is a beautiful thing. Living my life with, I mean, you guys know that I have a mom that has a lot of issues And, um, she went to a psychiatrist once and then was like, no, I'm good. I'm perfect. She was (laughs) prescribed, she was prescribed antidepressants and she threw them out and she said, I'm good. And it's like, you know, my mom was never diagnosed, you know, because you have to go to, to a session a little bit more than just once or twice because the doctor is still trying to figure you out. They're still trying to, 
to watch your movements. They're still trying to see if you make eye contact or not. They're still trying to see if you tick. They're trying to see if you have anxiety while you're talking. They're trying to see what upsets you, you know, so that not only can they be empathetic to what's going on with you, but be able to create an action plan for you to get better. And this is what I tell people all the time. I am not a licensed therapist. I will listen to you all day long. Will I give you advice? Maybe. Just depending on the severity. But the thing about a counselor, a therapist, a psychotherapist is that they do the thing that your friends cannot do, which is they create an action plan for you to get better, for you to to be on the way to be able to live your best life. And yeah, sometimes you do have to take medication, but that's not long term. Not only that, but they don't put you on the highest dose and then they just throw you to the wind, you know? And sometimes the first medication that you try is not for you because it is a chemical imbalance and what's going into your body is those chemicals, you know? I think I tried like three different antidepressants before I found the right one for me. And that in itself is difficult to admit, you know? I am very open and I am very honest with what's going on in my life and that's because I want you guys to see that the struggle that I'm going through is absolutely real. But not only that, but if I can overcome this shit, you guys can overcome this shit. I'm... I want to be not a beacon of light, but a beacon of like a little glimmer of hope. And if I can encourage you to take care of your mental health and your mental well-being, then I will absolutely 110% keep doing that. All right. I don't mean to get all preachy. I'm so sorry. That's not what this podcast is about. I'm sure you guys wanted to know more about me fucking the veteran. And I'll be more than happy to talk more about that later. Um, on a different episode. This is definitely something that I just, I thought that was very interesting and it was sad and it was sickening and, you know, just becoming aware of all of these, these little red flags could save you from a lot of hurt. And that's essentially what I really wanted to do was save you from hurt. And I hope I do that. Like I really do. I hope you realize these and the next time it happens, you can just be like, nah fam, I'm good. And just peace and get out. Or if you're going through it right now, you can hopefully get away from it. You know, if you need help, please reach out to me. I will help you find a center for you, for your children, for, I don't know. I don't know what I can do, but I will figure it out and I will do it. All right. And and that's my promise to you guys. I will do whatever I can to help you out and I will continue to do it. So once again, I'm just going to put the hotline number out there. If you are ever in a relationship like this, or you are in a relationship like this, or you know someone that's in a relationship like this, or you think you know someone that's in a relationship like this, call the, the domestic abuse hotline at 1-800-787-3224, or you can text START to 88788. You guys, thank you so much for coming on to another episode of A Slut With Morals. I'm your host, Ruby May. You can follow on my Twitter, my Instagram, TikTok, at a slut with morals, all one word. And just to let you guys know, I finally have merch up. Um, I'm going to be adding the link in the description down below. So please take a look at those. I am trying to buy a car right now. And so all of the money from that is going to go towards the car. Um, I would love to go on another road trip and meet so many more of you lovely people next year. And that's also what the money for this is going to go to. Not only that, but I would really like to start doing a little bit more for veterans and the homeless and, of course, 
maybe hopefully one day I will have my own nonprofit men's rights panel of lawyers that can help you in whatever way that we need to be able to help you. And not just men, of course, women as well. But I know mostly my listeners are men. So you guys, thank you so much for listening. I'm sorry that I droned on and on, but I love you all. Thanks so much and be safe out there. Okay. Bye.